Hello, sir. How are you doing today? It's been a lovely day. I think it's been a lovely week also. It's been one of those where I've... Uh, <laughs> you, you, you go through something, it's like you're climbing a hill, and then something clicks, and you go, oh, wait, that was so much easier than I was making it out to be. And... Um, it, it dawned on me that, that there, there were so many times I think, and, and this week was a perfect example of it, where I was just fretting and stressing about things that I did not need to, and to also be reminded that I have a team, and yeah. I have people who are there to support me, and I don't have to go at it alone. And um, my concern and my fears were really based on me thinking that I had to do it all by myself. And the moment it dawned on me that people weren't a nuisance, people were there to help and to let them help. It's like the Red Sea parted and um, things started going on swimmingly. And um, I'm actually also excited about next week or, and um, you know, again, it's just one of that reminders and you know, yeah, there's a lot to be done but there's also a lot of people with me to help me get it done. And so as long as I just take the time to delegate as necessary, encourage and challenge people, they'll, they'll rise to the occasion and sometimes they surprise you beyond what you think or even consider was possible in the first place. It's always good when you remember you don't have to do it yourself. But also a little bit... Uh, I, I understand exactly what you mean when things are pressing. You feel like you've got to do all of these things, and then it's uh, really great when you realize that you don't have to do it all yourself. It takes me a while to get there sometimes. but Well, you know, we touched on this sometime recently, and I don't know if it was on this podcast or it was somewhere else, and, you know, what what I had through, through just reading, listening to podcasts, I mean, and you know, that idea that we're an individualistic society, and we keep saying that. Yes. And you know, you want to be careful about the stories that you tell yourself, because even if they're not true, they become your truth. And it's again not true, but that you know, it's like that cave theory. People who live in caves, you know, all they see are shadows. And you you want to be careful because I think so many times we tell ourselves that this is an individualistic society, when it really isn't. But we say it so often that we start acting like that and we bring, you know, we fulfill that prophecy that is not intended. You know, one of the things that I, that I, that I learned and was reminded of recently was that we're really not that individualistic of a society. We're a familial society. We, when, when you look at the decisions and the choices that people are making, they're oftentimes making it for their family. They're not making it for themselves. Uh, now, yes, we could sometimes do more about thinking about the broader community, but it's not to the extreme where I'm only thinking about me. Uh, and so I say that as, as connecting that to the earlier point of we have people around us and we're oftentimes not doing things for ourselves. We're doing things for them. I'm going through a process at work where, um, you know, going through a process towards getting to the next level and it forces you to reflect on where you've been and in my particular case it's been 13 and a half years that I've been with my employer and I look back on it 
um, as I'm making this pitch uh, that I'm about to deliver. And it's abundantly clear to me that my success has been a team sport. I have not been successful by myself and I have not been successful alone. I have not been successful by myself because I did not architect and orchestrate all of my successes. People gave me opportunities. Right, people right. took a chance on me. People uh, put me in positions that I did not <coughs> often deserve or even know about. People spoke about me in rooms and in corridors of power that I would never have known about or been invited to. But also at the same time, as I climbed through, when I look at why I was able to, was because I was taking other people along with me and making those people who gave me those opportunities look good. And so even though there is a chance for me to say, I am this now, I am this because of the collective that was around me, the people ahead who paved the way and, and brought me up and the people behind me, as well as also alongside me, my peers also, who have supported and, 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 and helped me through it. And so for, for, for us in life, it truly is that way, whether it's our spouses and significant others or our family, our friends, co-workers, fellow believers in, in, in Christ, we help each other, even as citizens of a country. When you look at the last year, the only way that you we were able to get through it, for me at least, I know it's been because of the friends that I've had and my family, to be able to talk to them and, 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 and share with them, and then for them to help me in those moments where I was weak. We had the winter storm, and again, one of the things that made me get through that was the people who I was able to help. Yes. E even, <coughs> even, you know, but I was in a situation where I wasn't, you know, needing as much help, but by just lending help to people, I was able to look past how uncomfortable it was for me, uh, you know, to be without power for four days in the middle of some of the coldest weather that Texas had seen uh, in, in, in all times. So, again, it's just that comforting reminder that this is not about you. It's about us, and we're created as social creatures, and we're supposed to be connecting with each other, and we should be doing that each and every single day a, a little bit more deliberately and consciously. Yeah, it's contrary to what we're sometimes taught when we're growing up and taught even in the workforce, you know, and a part of the time that I was in the workforce, um, it was kind of every man for yourself kind of thing. And even then, it didn't seem right. But the idea of working as a, as a part of a team was something, strangely enough, that I had to be taught. And I uh, <coughs> don't know that I ever really got real good at it. But the, the, there's some risk that you incur when you invite others to be a part of your project or your 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 work or whatever you're trying to do because, uh, I mean, you ha you you have to have some level of confidence that they're able to to complete what their part of it is, and uh, uh, that was always uh, uh, you know. Once we got to the end of the project and everybody was celebrating everything, it always was exciting because uh, up until that, you know, the last day where you have to have production, I was never sure it was going to work. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody already had everything 
and 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 that was always exciting for me to see is when everybody pulled together and uh, stopped trying to blame things on each other and started to uh, you know find real solutions. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that kind of environment. I like that atmosphere of people where uh, I've always been drawn to it, where people were, were, were finding solutions, not trying to blame somebody else for uh, the, the failures or shortcomings or perceived shortcomings. Sometimes they were just perceived. They really weren't, you know, when the final product was there. They were, everything was fine, it, but get people that were trying to but I had I had the opportunity to work with a, a couple of people that were just outstanding at, at things like that very you know high, very high level position was in a very stressful situation and and uh, the, my boss said okay I understand it's my fault mm. but what I'm asking you is how can we fix it? Mm. And about the third time he said that, the person he was talking to realized he was not trying to assign blame for anything. He was asking for a solution, and their whole demeanor just switched to where from a person trying to say, this is not my fault because, to becoming a problem solver, and to be honest with you, uh, including her in his team. You know, we're all standing there, but he just reached out and included this stranger in the team, and she just made, uh, you know, she fixed things right away once she – it's – but you always incur some risk if you're going to include others in – to me, or I always incur some risk when you include others in what you're responsible for. So sometimes it has, it takes me a while to to say, okay, you got this. But once I get to that place, then I'm able to calm down, relax, and mm-hmm. walk through until somebody has an issue. And that's that's where I've really found my my place was uh, kind of staying on the sidelines and. Fixing issues when they came—that was that was where I had a lot of—I had a lot of fun actually. I mean, I love doing that kind of thing. I love interacting with people, but just trusting people with that much responsibility sometimes is—you know. Actually, when I got the position, you know, my wife—you you, know—you remember Janet when <laughs> she said. I told her I got the position. They had given me this position. And she said, what were they thinking? <laughs> Do they know you? <laughs> but it, it helped really um, – actually, it put me in a position of being – having to climb the ladder again because I'd already climbed the ladder before. And so this was such a huge difference that it put me in a position to have to have to start going up the ladder again, meet whole groups of new people, meet, and that was very 
while it was a lot of fun, it's very stressful for me because I was asked to perform at a a much higher level than yeah than what you were used to. Well, I I was already I was already at the top, and but but there's levels to it. Yeah. You know, and 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 I've been fortunate to realize that in my career that you know <coughs> you're a rock star consultant or senior consultant, and then because of that you get promoted to manager. That's right. And all of a sudden it's like the shine goes off because what got you what you were doing to get to that level is not enough to keep you there. The game has changed. It's it's a different sphere. What used to be quote unquote high performance characteristics are now sort of the baseline expectations. And so it's like you're not special anymore. You know, I, I remember <laughs> this also at grad school. You know, you go through undergrad and <coughs> top-ranked student, great GPA, then you come to grad school, and now it's the best of the best of the best. And so, you know, you've got to now step your game up in a completely different way. But I find it interesting because we need that. Yes, it, it, I agree. It, it's, it's what prevents us from getting complacent. It's what prevents us from actually regressing even because now you you realize shocking as it may be initially to see man i thought getting to be xyz was you know i I don't know how it is by the way but we get these funny ideas that you get to a certain level and you get to chill i'm going through work and oftentimes i talk with people who go with you sure you want to go up for partner i'm like what do you mean it's like it's, it's it's not like you're going to retire. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to retire. I, 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 I do expect to, to keep working <laughs> in some shape or form. No, it's a different kind of work. Yes, a, a different totally set different kind of yes. responsibilities. And it's congratulations, you've mastered the operational stuff. Congratulations, you've mastered uh, uh, leading a team. Now can you lead an organization? Yes. Because that's completely different from leading a team. You know, And so you're thinking about things in higher orders of think, you know, of, 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 of thinking and interaction. And it, it, it could be disarming at first. It could be, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes does set in that you ask yourself, do I deserve to be here? And sometimes you have to remember that you are here. And the fact that you're here you means deserve you're it good not. enough. Right. <laughs> you know, so stop asking <coughs> if you are here. The fact that you know, you're, you're, you're in this room, in this space, and in this time, you know, definitely means that. But then also realize that the game, you know, like I said, it's, it's a different game at the next level, and it does take some learning. But that's what you want, because when you learn that thing, you move on to the next, and you can't move on to the next till you've learned, uh, exactly. you've not mastered that thing. Or you'll keep going around the mountain. Yeah. You know, the thing, one of the things, see, I'd been in, in that part of the workforce for 20 years. I mean, I had I uh, I had my own office and conference area and everything. I mean, really everybody at, that worked in my group was did the all I was responsible for was, you know, to answer questions from the higher-ups and and so I got to where I was really to be honest with you, I was kind of bored. Mm. And uh, just kind of like you talked, I had begun to regress and to, I mean, I wasn't trying to be the top anymore. I was just 
bored with having to, I didn't have to go out in the field. I didn't have to do, you know, all that kind of stuff that I thrived on before. And once I got the job, the next level job, a project manager, then all of a sudden I, you know, the, the, one of the VPs came down and said, uh, listen, I need you to meet a news crew over in this building. I'm, whoa, 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 you know, until it really, I mean, you talk about, you know, up your game. It went from that to, you know, be ready. We're flying to Houston in the morning for a meeting. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, sitting down at a, a table with some of the, the, the best of the best in the whole business. And all I could think of was just be quiet. So, yeah, and but once, um, actually, a couple of people, like you said, took interest, and uh, once I began to get, I, I guess, test the waters a little bit, I I became that challenge really opened up a whole new whole new world for me. And when I put the work experience that I have with the ministry, then uh, it's amazing how God took me through training during work uh, that I obviously wouldn't have gotten if I had not to uh, been a minister and in the work. Some people call it bivocational, but uh, I, I God taught me a lot through through those experiences, and uh, and people give you opportunities that uh, sometimes don't look like opportunities, and uh, so it, it wound up being it was it was just a it was an exciting. Exciting new era in my work career. There is an enduring lesson in in all of this, I think, that I feel is necessary to to stress and emphasize, which is there is an evolution. And I use the word evolution because it encompasses growth has a little bit more to it. And what I mean by that is when we talk about ourselves as human beings and we talk about that there's that base quote-unquote animal in us that just thinks like a Neanderthal hunter-gatherer, you know, prehistoric man. But because we're evolved, my understanding and the way that I perceive it is as much as those feelings, ideas, or thoughts may be there, being evolved means that you're able to resist it, that you're not controlled by your instinct. Yeah. You're controlled. Not, maybe control is not the right word. You're able to function at a higher plane because you know better, and so you're doing better. And so with the evolution, it's, I've had this at work, for example, where – 
there are certain things I enjoy doing because I did it for so long. In my particular case, I've been at my functional level uh, for the last five plus years. And so I'm really good at being a senior manager. Yep, uh-huh. And I know how to be a senior manager. And I know how to be a manager and, and you know, or all the other levels before. And the challenge always when I go to the next level is how do you resist the temptation to be that thing that you used to be? And so when I want to do all that stuff for myself, there's a voice that says, it's not your job anymore. Yes, you're good at it, but it's not your job anymore. Instead, your job is this other thing. And you, you, you struggle with it because what you know, what you've done is familiar, is comfortable, and you want to sometimes stay there. But that's not growth and that's not evolution. So the growth is you getting to the next level. The evolution is you resisting the urge or the temptation to go back to it. And I think for all of us, as we grow as individuals, think about your growth from childhood. I know there are times I want to be a child. You know, I look <laughs> at my uh, my beautiful nieces. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Just to see them without a care in the world. Yeah. You know, someone's cooking food for you and tell you when the food's ready. You sleep as long as you need to. You know, you watch TV. You're not charged with making money or anything. As a matter of fact, we love it when we see you playing and jumping around. And, you know, if you make a mistake and break something, we might be mad, but we forgive you because you're a kid. And there are times, I mean, I wish someone would grant me that grace. But as much as that is fun, as much as I would want to do that, I cannot afford to do that. The growth and the evolution says, all right, resist the temptation for childishness and be a man and be an adult and be responsible. There are times, like I said, it's the work gets too much. The responsibility gets too heavy. And you just want to say, you know what, let me just take a break from this. But being evolved and and growing means that, that you overcome that and you resist that. And for me, that has been something that has been welcomed because when I look back then and I see all the advantages and all the benefits, I'm happy that I chose the path that I did. Yeah. I'm happy that I chose not to regress or stay at that base right. level or to go to the next and to the higher level. And so that, that becomes very uh, comforting in its own way. There's still work to be done, but the work is worth it because of all the things that are generated as a result. One of the things that was always important to me was to help other people get ahead. Mm. And that became one of the, the things that, that I was known for was that I helped others. And in one particular instance, uh, I found out that they had this huge training budget that nobody was using. So I sent um, several people to apply for this training. I mean, it's, it didn't cost them anything, and nobody was using it. So, so I got this, you know, conversation with the uh, higher-ups that said, well, what are you going to – what are you, what are you going to – you're going to train these people, and they're going to go somewhere else and get a higher-paying job. And 
I told them, I said, at least they'll know we train our people well, you know, and the, they let me do that. So it finally got to a place that one of the new hires was told by one of the people that had been there a while. He said, here's, here's the, the training that's available to you. You sign up for what you want, or Frank will sign something up for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I had several people that became uh, managers and, and – uh, supervisors and project planners and different that came as we went, you know, as we went along. And I know exactly what you're talking about when, when I, uh, got my, uh, the position that I had, they, I, I saw some struggles happening in the position that I'd had before the person that had taken my position and, so I started to help, and I was told, this is no longer <laughs> your area of, uh, you, you, basically, you stay out of this, is you don't, you, you don't live there anymore, you know. And so even, I, even though I could have helped, within two years, the other person was just as capable as I was. <laughs> but not only did I have to watch them, I had to pay attention to my own challenges that weren't weren't as bad as I always loved a challenge and I think that that's one of the things that uh, I, I don't know that we need it but I, th I think sometimes the challenge keeps us from uh, and, and and I mean just in everyday life sometimes we have challenges if if you don't have something to motivate you then you stop doing anything I don't think that's a good place for anybody to be. But I always, I always enjoyed. Uh, actually, I didn't enjoy some of the deadlines. Uh, I was just wondered how they came up with those deadlines. But I found out that they also had people above them that gave them deadlines. <laughs> that's how I got the deadlines I wanted. Not not only being able to trust a team, but also being able to to cultivate others to where they can take on challenges of their own is really uh, I, I think that's a really important part of being a leader of any kind. If you're going to be a leader, and I've always been of the opinion that you're never really going to make a good leader until you learn how to follow. Mm. And so that was a that's good. That was a hard thing for me to learn was to follow. Once I got that right, then I was able to lead. So I think it's important to realize that uh, you know, I always you, you you take a car and you can get in a car and you can drive it and you don't maintain it, pay attention to it, and pretty soon it's going to malfunction somewhere. And that's the same way with a team. If you just drive a team and because you're the driver, you, it'll malfunction and you'll have a big problem on your hands. One that won't have such an easy solution sometimes. But being a leader is, uh, is I know some people think they're born to be leaders. Others, uh, you know, sometimes uh, becoming a leader is you just happen to be at the right place 
at the right time. And other times, without you knowing it, you've been quietly cultivated, and then all of a sudden you're faced with a choice, a chance, however you want to look at it. Sometimes it's a choice, sometimes it's a chance, an opportunity, a challenge, and have an opportunity to go take that step and not only take you beyond who you thought you could be, but take others with you. And I think that's an important part of being a leader as well, is not just being a leader, but developing others as you go. One of the things that you need to have a characteristic or attribute is long-suffering or, or, or patience, both as a follower and also as a leader. When I think about my experiences, and you can actually be both, and I think that's sometimes what people forget, is they think it's your one versus the other. You can be a leader of certain people, but also at the same time you're following other people. Absolutely. There's a chain of accountability um, that is in that order that I think also helps you refine yourself, right? How you learn as a follower influences how you lead, and how you lead also influences how you might choose to follow someone. But sometimes being a follower requires a great deal of patience because even if it's just simply for you wanting to be in leadership, you have to bide your time. You, you have to follow long enough to learn how to follow so that you can inspire other people to follow you. David comes to mind for me as someone who, at a very young, tender age, is anointed to be the next king. He's been earmarked and certified for leadership. But he has to learn to be patient, to wait for his time to ascend to the throne. And it's interesting because it's not just a simple wait. It's a wait that to certain people might seem demeaning. Here I am, Absolutely. anointed to be king, and right after that I have to go back into the open fields and take care of my father's sheep. Here I am, anointed to be king, and I'm being sent to my brothers to give them you know, cheese sandwiches while they are at war. Here I am, anointed to be king, and the very same guy who has been rejected by God, whose position I'm supposed to be sitting in, has called me in to play the harp and minister to him when an evil spirit is upon him. Oh, and to add insult to injury, he tries to kill me twice. But he learns through each and every single one of those harrowing experiences what it means to follow. Because then... When people see how well and how diligently you follow, they're able to then respect you. One of the things that sometimes people don't know or pay enough attention to is as a follower, if you're a grumbling, rebellious yes, follower, yes, so you are the guy who's rank and file and you're talking all this trash about the boss. They're bad at this. They're horrible at that. Oh, I can't wait to be in charge. Well, guess what? These people who are your supposed peers at this level, who you expect to follow you, are watching you <laughs> badmouth the person on top. You've done one of two things. You've either given them license to badmouth you when you're in charge, 
or you've shown them how unworthy you are of the mantle of leadership. And so to become a, a, a leader, you must first learn to follow. And how you follow probably, I think, dictates both the pace and the altitude to which you rise into leadership and then also sets a standard for which the people who you're going to lead are going to evaluate you. Because your very first time as a leader, we don't know you except how you've been as a follower. And if we saw that you were a good and faithful follower, then there's an indication in there that you could be a good and faithful leader. But if you weren't good and faithful as a follower, yeah, he ain't going to be much better. Right. It's what they say, you know, money doesn't make you have bad character. It just reveals the, ca reveals the character that you had. That's Same right. thing with leadership. It doesn't make you a better person. It just reveals the kind of person Absolutely. that you are because now, right. you know, you get to be in charge <coughs> and a little bit unrestrained. Actually, interestingly enough, the, the word used there for long-suffering in, uh, indicates not only patience, but just like the the the, the uh, example you chose in, in David is probably the most appropriate example that there could be, because even though he could have long suffering, never strikes back, mm. and David could have actually struck back more than once, and. In fact, for those who follow David would say, man, why didn't you do that? A lot of times, uh, people around you do not understand why you don't strike back. So uh, one of the things is that uh, with long-suffering, it takes it, I think I want to take it to a, a word that's that almost is it's more like enduring and uh, not just patience but patient endurance as well as uh, as not having the inclination to strike back at others whenever you have the opportunity so uh, I've had some people that actually uh, got on my nerves and were problematic. But a couple of times it played out to where once there was a question uh, about what I'd chosen to do, that person was one of the first to speak up in my behalf, you know, they, they, uh, uh, actually, I guess they thought I couldn't take care of myself, but I was, I was kind of surprised that those people who had been so problematic, uh, uh, would, would step in and really try to take up for me. So, uh, and as we, I was told, don't pray for patience. But I'm inclined to believe you need to pray for whatever you think you need. Mm. So sometimes patience may be. Uh, but 
some people have the idea that wait, uh, patience is just waiting, long suffering is just waiting. But, and that would be cool if it didn't have the word suffering in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that suffering gives you an idea that there's more to this than just waiting for the end game. It's not just hanging around. It's not just, it's putting up with stuff that, just like David, put up with all of that, uh, all the things he put up with, and still uh, treated uh, Saul with respect. He treated him in, in every way that he should. And so that long-suffering is something that we really should be a part of. That's actually in the fruit of the Spirit. And in the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, I think you mentioned this uh, last week. The, the word used is a singular word. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So these collectively are the fruit of the Spirit. So uh, I, I'm, uh, it's kind of... It kinda, uh, it's kind of like all of these fruit grow on the same tree, and that tree should be you. <laughs> You're right. Um, just to take it a little bit deeper, too, you know, we, we've used long-suffering and patience, but there's an element that sort of binds that, and I think it's endurance. Yes. Because... It's not a momentary thing. It's not just do this for five minutes. It's do it for a period of time. And in the period of time, there's a weathering, there's a refining of you that's happening. And, and, and so it's not just about waiting. It's, 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 it's about how you wait, right? It's 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 not just biding time. Good. Let the let the clock run out, and, good, and, and, and and put me into that position. It's it's what you're doing. It's what you're learning. It's who you're becoming in that mm. period of time. And endurance is such an important word. Uh, the analogy and the visual that comes to mind is that of a marathon runner. It, it, it's not a sprint. You know, because I think a lot of people can perhaps do a sprint. You know, it's 10 seconds. Go as hard as you can for 10 seconds and it's over. No. With a marathon, it's you're going for 26 miles. And it doesn't get any easier. And sometimes you want to quit. Sometimes you want to give up. Sometimes you question yourself. Why... Did I choose to do this? Why am I still choosing to do this? I could be at home right now, on the couch, feet up, watching television or my favorite team play. But instead, here I am in the harrowing heat, choosing to put myself through this. But part of what makes endurance so beautiful is a recognition of what lies on the other side. That what lies and awaits you on the other side is absolutely worth it. And you're willing to put up 
with the things that help you grow. You're choosing to sift through all of the mess that is put your way to find the important things. When I go back to that story of David, I can imagine him sitting out there in the middle of the fields, watching over the stubborn sheep. Free time. He chooses, rather than just stay here and sleep under this tree, what if I pick up this harp and I begin to hone a skill? And he does. And because he does, he becomes recognized eventually as one of the greatest musicians. He's the author of the vast majority of the book of Psalms. <coughs> when he's there, he's confronted with danger. First a lion, then a bear. He could have said, look at me, anointed to be king, and instead, I could have been killed by this. But instead, he chooses to focus not on necessarily the danger to his life, but the warrior strength inside of him and how he can defeat a foe that is much bigger than he is. And that prepares him for the day he has to face Goliath and become that coming out party of his to the nation of Israel is that I'm that guy who's next in line. When he's faced and confronted with Saul, He could have taken Saul's life, and on more than one occasion, he had the chance to, but he chose to forgive, and that prepares him for the time also that he has to forgive, Yes, even members of his own family who sought his life. Now, the circumstances were slightly different because it was part of his mistakes that led to that exactly. in some ways, but he learned the importance of being a peacekeeper and choosing not to exact vengeance, even though one might otherwise tell him. Because they did tell him. His men with Saul told him, dude, do it. And he goes, ah, I can't do it. They were like, okay, fine, I'll do it for you. Yeah. And he no, goes, no, 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 don't do that either. And the same thing with his son, Absalom. You know, they, they, they tell him, go, go, no, 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 no. He chooses not to. Each and every single situation we are confronted with, we have a choice. And I said this earlier, what narrative do you take from all of this? What stories do you choose to tell yourself? There's no doubt that sometimes bad things are happening, things that you don't deserve. But you can choose to be a victim or you can choose to find in those stumbling blocks instead stepping stones that take you to the next level. And part of endurance is just that. You weather the storm, but you're not stationary. You're moving yeah. forward in face of heavy resistance. And while you're going in that one direction and pressure is coming in the other, it begins to strip away from you all the things that are not necessary all the things that would otherwise weigh you down. And it's peeling off and revealing that blossoming diamond, that wonderful treasure of a leader that you're supposed to be in one particular instance. But it requires you choosing to go forward 
as opposed to stay. Because if you stay, you'll get blown away. But if you go forward, your muscles become refined, become strengthened. It's like in the gym, that bit of resistance. It's painful in the moment, but it's working those muscles out. You're getting stronger and stronger. And today it's five pounds, and tomorrow it's 10, then it's 15, and then it's 20, and so on and so forth. But the only way that you get there is by choosing to go in the direction of the oncoming conflict and allow that to refine you. And that's how it reveals your true character and true leadership. You know, endurance also, long-suffering, is not something that is always anticipated. You're, you're, you're any any uh, pressure on you will reveal your character, and if you have long suffering, it'll be revealed in your character. The connotation along with this that I want to just mention again is that you're not going through this with an eye to taking advantage of somebody else. You're going through this because. You understand not only are you not going to be a victim, but you understand who you are in Christ. And I think it's important for people, uh, you know, a lot of people have, um, uh, what would you say, identity issues or uh, they, they have low self-esteem. And I think that when you're long-suffering, that you begin to see yourself in a different light, mm. not just as a victim or a person of low self-esteem. You can actually see yourself as a person who there's more to you than they thought there was. And a lot of times people wonder why things happen, and, uh, and, and that's part of the reason things happen. So you can find who you are. You can, you can. Uh, 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 I, I'm one of the people that uh, believes we need to work on our strengths. We need to, uh, and when you when you begin to have to go into uh, long suffering, patient endurance, then you have to realize, just like you're talking about the running the marathon. Uh, there's part of you that says you want to quit. You may uh, you may decide to you know I'm going to stop. You know, ten more yards I'm going to stop. But you know, there's always that something within you, and I believe that something within you is the Holy Spirit that says, you know, you can do this. Go another little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you can then go another little bit until before you understand and before you know what's happened. You've already completed. You've gone through what you were going through. You're on the other side. And not only are you thankful to God, but you've learned something about yourself that once it starts over again, not only do you stand strong, but you can encourage others to stand strong too. I I think this is a part of the focus of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just personally. But I think it's so that others can see that God is in you. 
think one of the ways that people can see the God that's in you is through the goodness. Actually, before we go goodness, let's, let's maybe look at gentleness. Because what gentleness is really all about is an element of kindness, a desire not to hurt anyone or to cause them pain. And that's difficult sometimes in terms of, I know nobody really sets out to sometimes, but we can inadvertently cause pain. And so I think in this sense, it's you're intentionally not setting out to cause people pain. And it's not just that you have the intention of not causing them pain, but also that you're very careful in your action you're very careful in your choice of words. You're very careful in the way that you make efforts in your interactions with people that you're paying attention not just to what you want, but what they are able to receive. One of the interesting things that I have had to be very cognizant of is trying to recognize how I connect with people and making a clear distinction between what my intention is and how things come out. And part of being a, a gentle or a kind person requires that I, I take the time to, 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 to configure my speech and to configure my actions in a way that is mindful of how and where people are. And so what I mean by that is, as a leader, when I look at certain people, in I need to deliver a message to them. I know those in my team that can withstand public rebuke versus those who are a little bit more tender and require private rebuke. I know those people who every now and then need a word of encouragement and a word of uplifting. Even though it's their job responsibility to do that thing, I recognize I need to give them that encouragement because that is where they are in the stage of their walk or their maturity. And so <coughs> goodness, sorry, uh, gentleness and, and, and kindness requires that, that I'm very sensitive and very attuned and very responsive to, to who people are and how they are. And, and, and this is the interesting thing because it's not just being nice and doing good. There's a lot of work that goes with it because I have to stop and think consciously about the person with whom I'm interacting and That's ask yeah. who are they and how are they? What do they need? And how can I modify my approach to give them what they need in the way that they need it? And it's not meaning that I'm catering to them or infantilizing them, but instead it just means that if I want this thing to get done, there's a way that I can pull out the best of them and in them by having that kind of level of attention to them. The thing about gentleness is people are drawn to gentleness. Uh, men, when I was growing up, were taught to be, uh, I guess you, I, I don't know, macho, were taught to be, you know, don't let anybody push you around. Don't let anything. And <clears throat> many people 
use the term, think the term gentleness is a weakness. But it's actually gentle people are some of the strongest people that you'll ever find. And uh, it's, it's taken into consideration so many variables. A, a gentle person doesn't have to think through all of those variables, but what the mood of the person is, what they really need. All, all of the things, but it comes from within inside us. And I think that that's the, the key to being a gentle person is allowing that to exist inside of you because that's what's, what's, what's inside of you is what's going to come out when the pressure's on. So I've always said, you know, uh, they always talk about a, a wolf in sheep's clothing and how can you tell a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, the way you can tell a wolf in sheep's clothing is real quick. You just put some pressure on them, and you'll find out if they're a wolf or a sheep. And the thing is, is that real gentleness <clears throat> comes from inside you, and it encompasses people. It draws people uh, to where, uh, I guess, you know, kindness doesn't, it's more than that. It's it's being able to understand who you are. It's very akin to meekness. It's you, you you understand who you are. You understand what you have, and you don't have to prove it to anybody. You just are able to to react, and not only react but act toward people with a kindness in your voice. In your demeanor, in your eyes, in and uh, uh, I've seen people that were very, very gentle. Uh, I had I had a friend. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord many years ago, but he was such a gentle person that I was drawn to him just by the fact that of the way he treated other people and. When he passed away, uh, one of the things I, I actually got to do his memorial, and one of the things they wanted to do was let people say something. I was amazed at some of the things people had to say about how he had helped them when they hadn't any intention. They, they had no idea that this their interaction with this man was going to help them grow the way that they did over the time that they were uh, interacting with him. And, uh, and so whenever we have the opportunity, you know, the world is sometimes geared to making us make snap decisions. And see, I think gentleness kind of doesn't stay on that snap decision deal. I think that's the part of it that says, ah, let's, let's see what comes of this. You know, that person, you don't know what's happened to them. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they've been, you know, and uh, just responding to people in a way that uh, invites them to uh, be who they really are. And uh, I, I know that the first inclination is to think, well, gentle people will always get taken advantage of. But 
don't ever uh, count God out in things like that because when you really have gentleness, uh, you would be surprised at the response that, uh, that happens in people even that are very angry when you respond with a gentle voice or a gentle tone or a gentle word, uh, a kind word. It, it's amazing to see what God can do in just a moment if you're willing to, uh, I don't know, I guess push down that animal you were talking about. You know? <laughs> push it, push, push that, and let your heart talk. Oh, wow. Um, letting your heart talk. You know, it's interesting because, and, and I'm coming at this from being in, corporate workspace where there's a disproportionate emphasis on leading with the head and not enough on leading with the heart. Yes. You're thought, you're taught to think analytically, to make strategic decisions, to manage scarce resources. But in all of that, you cannot lose sight of the person behind the decision that you're making because there really is no such thing as a business and what I mean by that is what we refer to as a business or a corporation or an organization even a church is really a collective of people people and people are living beings spirit body and soul and minds just binding collectively towards a common goal. And so someone taught me a lesson, and it's a tough pill to swallow because the idea is the people that you hire, you should think of them as family. And I was like, huh? Why should I think of them <coughs> as family? Well, it's if what you're doing is so important, then you don't just want anybody to be a part of it. That's a good point. You want to be very careful and deliberate about who you bring into your organization because this is your livelihood. This is your purpose. This is your collective objective. And in the same way, if you thought so diligently about bringing them in, then you want to think so diligently about taking them out. And I think we spend more time thinking about hiring people and not enough about how we get rid of them. Ooh. And this person was challenging because it was like, if they didn't work out, how much of that is their fault? In other words, if a flower is not germinating, is it so much the fault of the seed or fault of the environment in which it was planted? We've talked about the parable of the sower. Sometimes it is about the conditions in which they are. And so if you are having to get rid of someone, is it because they are bad at their job? Or maybe perhaps there was a contributing factor, which is you didn't train them right. What if you didn't surround them with the right kind of people who could foster the, the, the capabilities and the potential within them? What if you hired the wrong person in your zeal to just fill a position and cover a loop? you know, uh, a gap that you had in there. And so, as a leader, 
I think it's important then for you to recognize that you sometimes need to step down and meet people where they are. Do not always expect that your people are coming up to you. It's funny how leaders oftentimes talk about, well, I have an open door policy. Well, have you ever considered that some people are afraid to go up to the door? Open as it may be, people are afraid to come to it. That's exactly right. And I struggled because I had a leader at work who was of this mindset. When I would bring up to this person some of the challenges that I'd heard from the staff, the response was, well, nobody ever said that to me. Yes. And I'm like, yes, but I'm telling you. Well, if they felt that way, they should have said something to me. I'm like, you need to understand, sometimes people don't feel worthy. People don't feel that they will be heard. And some of that is not your fault. It might just be a prior experience. It might just be their, their, their nature. But as a leader, if we sit back and say, well, if they have an issue, they should come to me. And I say, no. One of the things I tried to do, it was obviously easier to do pre-COVID, was I would always make sure to show up at the office Absolutely. and walk the halls <coughs> and actually show up to my people at their desk. And no matter, open door policy be damned, go out there to the people where they are. Just hang out at their desk and talk with them. And it gives them that connection to you so that slowly and surely, they are now able to reach out to you at other times. But it's not, oh, well, I already told them I'm available to them. I already told them if they needed a question, they can ask. Not everyone does that. As a matter of fact, not many people do that. Actually, some people do that because they know them. They won't, nobody will. They say it in such a way that I have an open door policy. It makes it look like if you go to talk to them that something, Something needs to be wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, but you're absolutely right. Is taking the time to go talk to people one on one, even doing that in small groups, uh, it'll it'll strengthen your organization or your church or anything that you do. Is being able to talk to people. Uh, <coughs> you know, you and I've uh, had lots of opportunities to talk over the last year. Uh, but not so much over the years before that. You know, usually we had uh, it, when we had an opportunity to talk, it just happened to be just a couple of minutes, uh, four or five minutes, or unless there was a disaster or something. And then we, but but over the time that we get a chance to talk to people, we can have uh, uh, a lot better sense. You know, even even if you do go to ask a question, you've got a lot better sense of, of you know, what that question could be, you know. Uh, and a lot of times uh, leaders steal themselves for the people that want to come talk to them because something's wrong. But I, I've experienced several people that just wanted to come and sit down and and talk, you know, talk about. I man, I tell you what, I some of the best ideas were from those little talks I had with people. Uh, you know, one time, and and this is just I could tell you several examples. Was uh, I, you know, the uh, I had several different trades in, in, so I had painters, electricians, plumbers, uh, carpenters, all kinds of different 
group, air conditioned people with me. So, um, uh, what I started doing was talking to different people about ideas, how we could do things. And man, over six months, we basically were able to change a lot of how we operated because I found out from the people who knew what we really needed to be doing. You know, actually, Linus, in some of the areas, we were providing a service, a very good service, an excellent service that our customers neither needed or wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we, you know, once somebody, and nobody would come and say, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. But once I started doing just exactly what you said, going around, talking to people, sitting down, maybe uh, I, I'd take somebody to lunch and uh, they said, well, did you know we could be doing this and we could be doing that? But uh, responding to people, not just with a strategy or, uh, you know, a plan. A corporate initiative. Yeah, and even if even if that was what you have, you don't have to present that to the people all the way. Yeah. You know, that's an easy way for you to do if you you know for if you're if you're going to be the manager or leader you can say well look corporate said this or this is you know but uh, you can do that you can manage it and really help people if you will it's, it's just just being I don't know uh, I'll be honest with you the reason this gentleness is so uh, so much to my heart is because I spent 20 some odd years trying to be a wolf. Hmm. You might have to go a little deeper on that one for me. And when I met Jesus Christ as my Savior, I found out I never was really a wolf. Hmm. I was a sheep. Now, I found out that I, you know, a lot of people looked at me uh, in, in one sense as, as as tough, as mean, as bad, as I could. You could use a whole lot of other words to script, and I did all of those things. But when I met Christ as my Savior, I found out I never did really want to do all that. I wanted to be me, and by nature. I'm not a mean person. I'm not a, uh, I, I don't like to fight. I don't like to, uh, I, I, I like to, to, to help people. Uh, that's what I like to do. And so that part of me came to surface after I became a child of the king and I received Jesus. But until then, I had spent the, all of my life trying to be a wolf. Actually, you could ask some people even today, and they would probably tell you I was a pretty good wolf. But it never really was me. Mm-hmm. And once I came out from the under the pressure to be a wolf, I found out that within me was... Uh, a gentle person that uh, had no aspirations to be a mean, tough, <laughs> you know, and 
And again, I want to reiterate, uh, being gentle doesn't have mean in any sense of the word that you're uh, weak. So, in fact, I, I would have to say that gentle people sometimes are some of the strongest people. I'm not trying to say that about myself, but I've known people that were very strong just by what they, put the other word to it, endured long-suffering and maintained that, that gentleness, that heart for, for others that it, it, uh, it leads you to see how each one of these, I mean, I, I could talk about this. I can see how each one of these are connected to make it one fruit. It's it's that's exactly the same thing. I was just going back and looking at the very first to love and to joy and to peace and and now to long suffering and then um, and, and gentleness in seeing that consistent thread that builds upon each other and and there's a reason that they are put in the order in yes. which they are because all of those things are connected. They build upon each other. And they just only further enhance the depth of of the fruit, and I think the quality uh, of the fruit. Right after that's a good word. That's a good word to use. Quality. Let me let me let me take that for just a minute. Absolutely. So you talked about the way this uh, was put together and builds on each other. So let's talk about that. I think as you continue. You're going to see the quality of the fruit rise, is mm. because that's what's happening uh, here. Is that uh, the right soil was used, the right uh, atmosphere was used, the right temperature is used, and then this fruit begins to grow, and it just enhances each each step enhances the quality. Of It's undeniable, I think, that you need one to have the other. And they don't exist separate from each other. That's exactly right. The very moment you have love, all of these things come into play because it drastically changes your outlook in life and the way that you approach things, situations, or people. There's no way that you love someone that you cannot be gentle with them or kind to them. There's no way that you can have love in you without you demonstrating a measure of long-suffering or patience. Absolutely. Because the very first thing that love does, it strips you of your arrogant presumption of your preeminence you are no longer the most important thing in the universe. As a matter of fact, you displace yourself from the very top and almost like you put yourself at the bottom in service of others. That's true. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy the finer things in life. As a preacher, you've probably have come across people who, who think either in their interest of not wanting to go into ministry because they think being a pastor means that you're going to be poor. Yes. No, no, no. Being a pastor means that you are not poor. 
Now, it doesn't at the same stretch of the imagination mean that you should be uber rich and wealthy because we have seen preachers who have abused yes. their positions of authority. But there is at the fundamental core of who you are and your call that element of love. And it's not love for people because that can be very conditional. It's all of this is rooted in love for God. That's right. It's God's love that's inside of you because I know my love has a limit. <laughs> my love has boundaries. My love is reciprocal sometimes. It depends on how well you treat me. Yes, On exactly. whether or not you are grateful. I don't mind doing a good thing for you, but I do keep mind and pay attention to, oh, this guy was so not thankful and grateful. Okay, I'll show you what I'm going to do the next time. Maybe next time I'll do less. Maybe the time after that I wouldn't do anything do at anything, all. Yeah. But that's not God's love. Because... How many times have I messed up? How many times have I prayed a prayer of alleged repentance? Let's be honest. It was a prayer of sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I feel guilty right now, God. I'm sorry that I feel ashamed for the things that yep, I've done. So yep. please take this guilt and take the shame away so I can go back <coughs> to living how I used to live. And how many times have I promised that I would do or not do something only to turn around and do the very same thing? But here's the kick. He didn't abandon me. He didn't discard me. He chose instead to still pursue after me. His love is boundless and infinite. And when we base everything on love for God and allow God's love to come in and operate in us and through us, then all of these things can happen. Because that's the seed that grows and if we choose to allow that seed to grow it can sprout out all of these wonderful qualities and attributes and yes there is work but the work becomes a natural component of having those things because what's the point of love if i don't show it what's the point of love if i'm not patient the very idea of having love in you love compels you into action when i love people and i love people you want to do things for them you want to discomfort yourself for them i love my nieces and i i've had the chance to visit with them twice and i know for example Depending on what time I show up, if it's TV watching time, they can be so enthralled in <laughs> the cartoons that don't pay me enough money. But because I love them so, I can put up with oh, that. Oh, yes. Versus I wouldn't put that up with my friend. If I showed up to my friend's house and they're spending all the time watching, okay. But when you love someone so much, you're always, your mind is constantly thinking, you're married to Nancy, right? It doesn't have to be her birthday for you to want to do something good That's right. for her. It doesn't have to be Valentine's Day for you to just want to just show her how much she means to you. <coughs> and it doesn't have to be a grand gesture either, right? It could be something small, getting her a cup of coffee. It could be something, you know, just as offering a pleasant word, a word of encouragement, a compliment. Oh, you look beautiful today. I love that dress on you. You know, hey, I remember you said you were struggling with this. Anything like, you know... That's what love does. Love starts scanning the environment and saying, how can I pour into somebody? 
And that's what this fruit does. Yes. Is that God is in you, but his love animates you into action, into how can I bless somebody? How can I make an impact in their life? And how can I do something that just shows love is light and, and Jesus says if you have a light do you hide it on a bed no you put it on a table your city on a hill it, 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 that's just what light is that's what light does you can't think of anything else there's light is so intuitive that when you see it there's no other idea that comes to you than let me bring this out in the open and that's the same way love is when there is love inside of you, it is just naturally intuitive that you want to have joy and express joy. It is just natural that you want to have peace and share peace. It's just natural and intuitive that you're going to be uh, enduring of any difficulty or circumstance. It's just natural that you want to be gentle and kind with people. And then it takes us to the next one. You just want to be good. Love gives you a zeal for the truth. It gives you a desire to seek after righteousness, to hate evil. You see, sometimes people think being good means you're just there in that silo. No, just do good things. No, no, no. Being good means that you hate evil. And when you see evil in action, when you see evil being enacted, you choose to stand up and That's say, right. oh, no. That's right. There's that famous saying, the only thing that's needed for evil to thrive is for good people to do nothing. Are you really a good person if you don't do anything? Um, and, you know, again, the scripture says, Jesus said that he's the vine, we're the branches. Mm. And remember, the fruit hangs on the branches. But... It's the it's the uh, product of the vine, so we need to realize that as we go through, you know, when when if we're going to have all of these uh, attributes, the quality let's say the quality of this fruit is improving as as we go along, and we add to it goodness, and <coughs> it's actually. Uh, a word that gives itself to excellence. And very few people think of themselves as excellent. Mm. And I, I think because they tie it to performance. And and this isn't tied to performance. It's tied to who you are. Okay. And we need to realize that you are excellent because... God's love has been formed in you, and Christ is in you, and you know we've talked about organization. You 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 very you explain very well everything is is but uh, organizations are people, businesses are people, but that's what this is all about is people, and so just think of this as being so good that you're excellent. And that's you. And a lot of people, you could say, well, you don't really know all about me. And that's absolutely true. I don't. But I do know about God. 
And if God is in you, you have excellence in you. You have goodness. I mean, it's a, uh, it's really a, just let's just say you're more than who you think you are right now. If you'll allow yourself to reach beyond your limits. I like the way you talked about your your love has limits. God's love doesn't. That's very, very, very true. And um, we just need to realize that that's who we are. And uh, I know a lot of people say, well, I'm, I've got all of these problems. I've got all these issues. And uh, But if this develops in you, this fruit develops in you, and the quality of this fruit improves, Excellence is going to be formed within you, and goodness is going to be become not only just uh, uh, there again. It's not a performance issue; it's a who you are, a person issue. And uh, and so as you go through, that doesn't mean you won't do good things. I think you do what comes. You do what's in your heart. Mm. You know, I've seen people that tried to do good things because they felt like it was the right thing to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? They would be very charitable. They would work very hard because they think it's the right thing to do. But sooner or later, they'll become disillusioned because they don't see the result that they want or they were expecting. Uh, I saw a, a, a guy that helped homeless. He's a very, very wealthy billionaire, and he uh, developed a process where he could help homeless families. I mean, he even had businesses that would hire them, and he bought this property, built these places, and uh, but his view wasn't not to, uh, you know, give them a free life, his view was to help families become functional again. And uh, so he had some, you know, he had some deals in there. But for this man to do that, people still didn't understand why he would be involved. I mean, uh, you know, most people with that kind of money would be on their yacht somewhere saying, you know, uh, you know, maybe they would give a hundred million dollars uh, to a charity or something. But this this man became personally involved, and it was because he was doing it out of his heart. He wasn't doing it because he didn't need any press. He didn't need any. Uh, I mean, he didn't need any acclaim. He did, he already had all of that in spades. He just needed to help somebody because that was what was in him, and I. I remember seeing the smile on his face when the commentator asked how this was working. And uh, just that smile on his face told me more in just that few moments than because he wasn't doing this because he was obligated or uh, necessarily. He just wanted to help people. And I think that that's a, 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 again, all of these things are, are uh, that we're talking about, all the characteristics of this fruit that we're talking about are, uh, are, are things that 
begin in the heart and work out through the person. Now, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've seen some fruit that, uh, I mean, it, it gets ripe in a matter of days, and then other fruit takes a while to, to get ripe. And uh, I think we are that same way. A lot of times, uh, before there's an outworking, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be something that happens within our heart, and we've got to become. Uh, you know, you talked about the challenge of taking on a new uh, position, a new. Actually, it's it's a change. It'll be a change in your life, and that's what happens with us is that there is a change in the depths of who we are. Because you can't fake goodness. You know, you can do good things, but I promise you, people are not going to be deceived that you're good. <laughs> there's, a there's a distinction between the action and the actor. Exactly. And people can tell the difference. Hmm. And, uh, you know, people are, people, you know, a lot of people think that, by and large, people aren't very smart, but they're very smart, and uh, and they can tell when you're playing and when you're really the real deal. So it may take them some time. You can deceive some people, but a lot of people that are doing good things are really trying to deceive themselves, and uh, maybe not trying to deceive themselves. They're trying to prove that there's something that they're not because actions but that goodness is going to be an outworking of what's going on inside of you and uh, and, it, and it works alongside all of the other things too because that goodness is going to endure it's not going to be something that's just a single act of excellence it's going to be something that's enduring it's going to be a part of who you are it's going to it's going to contain love in it. It's going to uh, it, it's it's going to, you're you're going to be at peace with it. You're going to I mean all of those things are going to work together in you, and as that works out of you, do you know what's going to happen is and what's so important for people to understand is that what happens in you and comes out of your heart will affect other people in the same way. It won't be just uh, a, a momentary. Uh, satisfaction, it'll be something that they remember sometimes for the rest of their lives. That act of kindness, that that goodness that comes out of you and touches their lives. It'll, 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 uh, uh, it, it can change people's lives. In listening to you talk, I think it becomes very clear and evident to me that there's a tendency for the things that start in the head to become transactional. That's a good way to put it. But there's also a tendency for the things that start in the heart to become relational. And when it comes from the head, like you said, you can do good without being a good person. That's right. You've just done the math, right? And figured out, look, it's easier for me to be nice to this person and not to be a mean jerk 
Because if I'm a mean jerk, they might respond maybe with violence and that's not going to be good for the rest of my day. But if I greet people, just greet them as a hollow gesture. Hey, morning, neighbor. Morning. All right. Keep it moving. And, 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 and it's funny because this happens with a lot of us. We think we know our neighbors because we offer hollow greetings like that. Good morning. Good morning. And we don't know each other. It's just all superficial stuff. Now, that's good, but that doesn't make you a good person. That's right. The good person is the person who is doing this out of their heart, out of a goodness. And you can tell, you know, if you pay close attention, I think we can all tell when someone is greeting us out of obligation or it's just something they're doing versus when they really mean it. And like you said, you can do good because... Again, it doesn't take a rocket science to fig- scientist to figure out that doing good causes people to have a sense of reciprocity. There's benefits. There are a lot of businesses that are doing good. They call it philanthropy. They call it corporate social responsibility. That's not who they are. That's not what they care about. But hey, if we do this, it looks like people actually buy a lot more from brands that do good That's things. That's true. It looks like people want to come work for places that do good things. So... Let's do good things because it is profitable to do good things. I mean, you would be an idiot right now to not, as a corporation, be talking about diversity and inclusion and equity or, um, you know, climate change and, and, you know, environmental sustainability and the like. You might not believe a lick of it, but in your mind, you've reduced it to the cost of doing business. It's like taxes. We're in tax season right now. I started my tax return back in January. It was very clear early on to me that I was going to owe money. So guess what I did? I stopped it. And now April 15th is coming up. I've picked up my tax returns again, and I'm getting at it. And guess what? I am going to pay my taxes come April 15th. I am not excited about it. I am not happy about it. There is little joy in my heart. As a matter of fact, I am cussing the IRS, not under my breath, out loud, you guys are a bunch of horrible people for having me pay this much taxes. Now, did I perform my civic duty? Absolutely. Did I do a good thing? Absolutely. But was I a good person in the way I went about it? No. I contrast that with my tithes and my offering. I am not compelled to tithe or to offer money to God. But I do it. I do it joyously. Is there pain in my offering? Absolutely. But I am not thinking about that momentary pain. I am thinking instead about my act of reverent, heartfelt, relational worship to a God, not just of this abstract God of the universe, but to a God who saved me, who cleansed me and turned my life around, about a God who still grants grace to me each and every single day. And so that is a service from the depths of my heart, not in my head. And there are people who have said to themselves, unfortunately, well, give money to God. If I give something to God, he'll take care of me. And God's like, I am not looking at the action. I'm looking at the heart. It's the same thing. This is a perfect segue to the to the parable of the, the widow's mite. It's, it's not a parable. It's an actual story, right? All of, this, all of these rich people are giving money. They're doing good things. And to the untrained eye, these are good people. I mean, that guy just put a million in the offering tray. That guy did 10 million. 
God is fantastic. Yes. They are giving to the work <coughs> of the temple. And this woman comes upo- upon us and she gives a mite. And you could say, well, that's a good thing, but not as good as the others. But Jesus, he sees the heart. That's it. And he says to them, of all these people who you've seen for the last few minutes give, she has given the most. Whoa. She gave just a dollar. They gave thousands. And Jesus says, out of the abundance they have, they've given. But out of the little that she has, out of her poverty, she has given more than them all. Because here's the difference. She gave not only with her heart, but she gave from her heart. From her heart, yeah. And there is no currency or monetary value that can be placed on that. That's right. It might seem small based on the scales and the measures of the world, but it seems like everything. It is everything to a God who sees and understands the heart with which and from which it was given. Right. You know, you talked about your taxes and the IRS and... I want to caution you. Uh, one time, about this time of year, I I, I said in a, in a message, I said I don't I don't know if anybody that works for IRS can be saved or not. And <laughs> I did not know, but one of the higher level IRS people in in this area was sitting in the congregation. <laughs> so I'd say kind of <laughs> because I learned it, but. Two, a lot of times we have opportunities to do good, and uh, I'm gonna—I know this is gonna sound contradictory, but uh, just because we have an opportunity to do good doesn't mean we should do that particular thing. I, I think that we should do what comes from our heart. As a minister, I have so many opportunities to be involved in so many different things. I've got to be very careful that I don't get caught up in doing things and not be able to do the ministry, if that makes sense to you. But as for from giving from the heart, years ago I had a church, a small church, I had a couple of people that came to church who were very poor. And you've heard the term dirt poor. This this is it. They didn't have enough money to to keep and maintain a car. They lived in very minimalist fashion and had very little income, if any. And I had people in the church who could have put $10,000 in the offering and it wouldn't have bothered them at all. I mean, it wouldn't have hurt them at all. But at the end of the year, these two people, husband and wife, had taken and they would always bring tithes. Now, I found out later that what they did was they would go out and pick up aluminum cans and take those aluminum cans and sell them, and then whatever they made from aluminum cans, they brought that to uh, to the church. At the end of the year, they were among the top five givers in the church, not because they had to, 
or even because they had the means, because they had a heart to. They had a heart for God that was just amazing. And, uh, and, and, and because of that heart they had for God, I saw God do miraculous things in not necessarily their lives, but in the lives of their family. And that's who their heart was for. So a lot of times as we go through life, we need to, I'll just say this, and I'll, and I'll be quiet after that. It's become more and more apparent to me as we've had this discussion for the last couple of weeks that I've got to start listening to my heart again in the fashion that I did some years back. Now, I, I'm not saying that I have totally deviated from that, but not with the capacity that's available to me. So I'm going to start listening to my heart because that's how I want to operate, is operate from my heart. Yeah, I don't think that you could have said that any better. Going back to operating from the heart. Yes. I, when I look at the world around us, the world in which we live in, It's abundantly clear we need more of that. I think for far too long we've tried the head bit. We need a little bit more heart. Genuine, honest, vulnerable heart. Because when you operate from the heart, it's not just about having good intentions, but it's having enough commitment to the person at whom your intentions, your good intentions are aimed, that you stop to also see the impact. And if the impact isn't what was intended, then you course correct. Right then and there. And um, That's a good. I'm, I'm with you on that. How can I do more heart? You still need the head. Like you said, just because I can do good doesn't mean I should do That's good. That's right. That's right. You know, certainly you want to be as cunning as a fox, but you don't want to be as naive as a sheep nope. or a lamb to slaughter. Lead with the heart. Found it off against the head. It's going to work for me. It it's been the Covenant Podcast. I appreciate you all. Looking forward to another time. We'll finish on the last uh, of our three part on the fruit of the Spirit. Until then, lead with love and let it flow through you.